Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. Our guest today is Carl Fix Jr. Carl helps busy professionals and their teams get fit again, resulting in less stress and higher productivity. He's the founder of No Surrender. Carl's an endurance athlete and former 30 year trial lawyer who brings hard won wisdom, real world experience, and actionable strategies to his work. He's a frequent guest on leadership, business, and legal podcasts and a sought after corporate trainer. His Friday Fix newspaper column provides strategies, tools, and inspiration to stay resourceful and resilient. When not cycling crazy miles, Carl enjoys cooking and traveling with his wife and two daughters. Carl Fix Jr. and Robert have a great conversation about starting a business after a long career in law. He wants to add value to others by helping them. Too many people are depressed and sad and not getting the support they need. He loves what he teaches and recognizes that he need to live it out in his own life. Well, Carl, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just excited to uh, have this conversation and and add some value to people in in the area where where you excel in helping them, you know, keep their body moving. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for inviting me. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. I really appreciate uh, being here. Absolutely. So I I let each guest just start with their own entrepreneurial journey and just share, you know what choices they've made to get them to where they are today? Well, sure. Uh, I started practicing law in 1988. Uh, I spent my career at two different law firms in the private practice of law. And in uh, early or mid 2021, I decided to pivot after 30 plus years out of the law. And I founded uh, my company, No Surrender LLC, uh, because I wanted to serve more uh, folks. I'm a big believer in fitness and wellness and self-care and how it can uh, elevate your game on all levels. And uh, I professed as a young guy to practice law so long as I enjoyed it. And once I no longer enjoyed it, I decided to pivot. There were some other factors which we can talk about, but uh, I made a hard stop and a pivot. And I just found that I, I could be in service to more people doing what I'm doing now. Well, I definitely identify with that and uh, like that you you made the choice. So many people are, are miserable in their, their job and no longer enjoying what they're doing and feel like they have no choice and feel like they're stuck. Yeah. And, and I get that. Uh, and I will tell you, I've, I've been asked, you know, lawyers, uh, let's just cut to the chase. A lot of them have egos. They're really tied up in um, the title of lawyer. That never really did it for me. Uh, I enjoyed the profession. I, in fact, I loved the profession and I loved practicing law and I loved being in court. But the title, Attorney Carl Fix, I could have cared less about that. <laughs> so when it came time to pivot, it was easier to uncouple. Uh, you know, some folks have asked me, how did you do it? Well, being a lawyer was, it never defined me. It, it was a profession, it's a good profession. Uh, it paid the bills, among other things. I got tremendous satisfaction out of it. But my birth certificate says Carl. It doesn't say attorney Carl. So it was easier to pivot because I wasn't caught up in the whole uh, title power structure of being a lawyer. Nice. That's so that's so important because so many people identify themselves with their career, with, with the work that they're doing. Right. We get asked it so many events and so many places, you know, what do you do? And, 
and of course everybody identifies with oh, i'm a lawyer and and it's very difficult for many to separate their career from their identity right and uh you know i like i like jimmy buffett in that in the son of a son of a sailor song uh you know he talks about lawyers thieves and bankers and i've often listened to that song wondering how did how did i get lumped in with uh thieves and thieves and bankers uh, i don't know if it just rhymed but um yeah it's um again good profession but um easy to pivot when you're not uh, when you're not embedded in concrete uh, in that profession and life's too short, Robert, you know that very well. And why do I want to be miserable doing something I no longer enjoy doing? Oh, so powerful. So let, let's talk about self-care and, and the value of self-care and, and why so many people seem to neglect it. Well, let's start with the, with the basic premise that self-care is not selfish. I think a lot of people conflate those two. I categorically reject it. And the way I look at it is if you take care of yourself, you then can show up better for all the different communities and populations that you serve. And if you think about who's on that wheel, you may have partners, domestic or otherwise. You may have a spouse. You may have children clients, colleagues, customers, various communities, whether it's your church or not-for-profit boards you may sit on or you serve, all of those communities to a degree rely on you, among others. And if you don't take care of yourself, you can't show up to be in service to them. So frankly, I look at self-care as a gift. It's certainly beneficial to you, but it's also a gift to others to those that you know and love and care about and serve. Well, that's such a good way to look at it, right? Recognizing the, the wheel of impact, right? And and who are the people that, that you're impacting? And and what kind of impact can you have if, if you're run down, if you're stressed out, overwhelmed, and, and just constantly going from, you know, crisis to crisis, then, then you show up at each of those things and you're, you're you're becoming a vacuum to those organizations rather than a feeding source. Exactly. And I and speaking of feeding, I we have two daughters, my wife and I have two daughters. And I remember when our first was born, my wife's doctor said to her, remember, a hungry mother cannot feed a child. Mm. And I never forgot that. And uh, that that landed. And it's it's true. So you you, again, cannot be in service to others if you're running at half speed or your tank is only half full or a quarter full. Um, so, again, I look at it as as a gift to others. That's that's so good. So let's talk about the, the fitness and wellness space and and your desire to, to jump in and serve people, feeling like you could serve more people and have a bigger impact. Well, we, we live uh, in, a, in a rather sedentary society, and I'm a big advocate of just getting up and moving in whatever form that takes. Uh, that's a good starting point. And I think what happens is we're active as younger people, and then there's this, there's this societal pressure to kind of just uh, shut it down, or people are intimidated that they may have been uh, gotten out of shape, and they have no idea how to get back into some modicum of fitness or some modicum of shape. Uh, but the benefits are, are tenfold. Uh, it's impact on mental health. There's such a connection uh, to getting outside and to boosting your mental health. Um, so, and the pandemic didn't help that. Uh, we, the numbers are the numbers, you know, excessive drinking increase, depression skyrocketed, anxiety. We can go on and on. So we're, we're emerging from that. And this is a great time to kind of take an inventory and say, well, how do we prep for the next pandemic so we're not as impacted? Um, and it, the, the benefits are just endless. And they served me very well in my profession, which is why I am in turn sharing what what worked for me and helped me navigate a very stressful profession. There are other very stressful professions, but I was able to do that, uh, uh, raise two girls with my wife, uh, 
remain active in the community and be responsive and in service to others. It wasn't just work 60 hours a week, come home and, you know, close the shades and be done with it. I mean, we, we have obligations because while you're working all these prodigious hours, you have this other thing called life. You have life in the evening, you have life on the weekends and you need to be ready for that. Oh, absolutely. When I think you mentioned the, you know, the last couple of years and the increase in depression and obviously people being isolated and, and, and a lot of opportunities for community and connection um, have been, you know, were shut down, you know, for such a period of time. So I guess one of the things that I see or, or am starting to recognize are the decisions being made right now are still based in fear. And, and so many things are, are being fear driven. Uh, and, and of course you don't make your choices out of fear, right? You, you made your decision out of, you know, I no longer am having fun as a lawyer. And so I want to, I'm no longer enjoying being a lawyer. And so now I want to make a bigger impact and do something different. And I think fear holds a lot of people back from those kinds of choices. It, it does. And I want it to be proactive rather than reactive. And a lot of thought went into this. And just so, just so we're clear, Robert, this wasn't a jump in the net will appear thing. Mm -hmm. I had given this some thought and there was an inflection point, which I'll share with you. Um, last March, March of 2021, a very, very good friend, colleague, partner, mentor at my firm died in his sleep at the age of 63. Ouch. And, and it, it really put me back on my heels. Uh, he was a great friend. He was a great lawyer and he was known in the industry as a great lawyer, but also a grinder. I, I tried my level best to beat him in the office in the morning, failed. I tried to stay later than him at night, failed. He was a grinder. I went away for a week with my oldest daughter. Midweek, my iPhone blows up and I, I get the message that Dan has died in his sleep. That was in March of 2021. And three beautiful daughters, beautiful wife, six beautiful grandkids, 63 years old. And I thought, you know what? I, I need to think about this. Um, so that was kind of an inflection point, which, um, provided some fuel to do what I wanted to do. And I thought if I can reach one person, uh, and maybe help them in their journey, then that's a win. And that's what I want to do. Mm. I like that. I mean, it's a terrible thing that a tragedy leads to you know, better choices in our lives, but that's very typical, right? That, that it's a tragedy that, that pushes us to make the choice or at least reflect on the choice of, Oh gosh, is that really where I want to go? Yeah. And uh, again, it's, it, it's a stressful profession and I'll just give you some numbers. Uh, the ALM, which is a legal publication uh, came out, they have a mental health survey. They just come out, came out with their 2022 numbers about three, four weeks ago. And again, these are just in the legal profession, but anxiety and depression hovering around 67%. There were about 4,000 respondents. But here's the number that threw me back big time because it wasn't in the 2021 study. 19% of the attorneys surveyed said at one point in their career, they contemplated suicide. Mm. That absolutely blew my socks off. And we've seen societally that there's been an increase in that. These are alarming things. So how do we as a society help people, help pick them up, uh, not knock them down? Uh, people need validation. They need affirmation. They need hope. And, um, you know, I think we can we can be part of that solution. Well, I love the phrase you just used, right? Help pick them up and not knock them down. You know, my company name is, is Add Value and, and, and it's based on you know, Paul's admonition to the Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up. Um, and I think that's, that's what humans ultimately were created for. And then there's, there's this fear driven side of us that knocks people down that, that tears, you know, tears others down rather than build them up because we're afraid that, that they'll take away our power. You know, you see it. 
I've seen it in, in plenty of marriage in, you know, in intimate relationships where it's a, a, a struggle for power and control. And, and in order to, to maintain power, they, they knock their spouse down and, 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 and keep themselves a, a notch up. Right. But of course, ultimately when you knock others down, you're knocking yourself down as well. And so, you know, right. we and need to make a commitment to building each other up, to picking each other up, to boosting each other for the, for the greater good, as well as our own good, because there's huge power in, in encouragement. There, that's a, it's a power tool that so few recognize how 100%. much influence we have. Right. And I started uh, back in early 21. I started a weekly post on LinkedIn and I call it the Friday fix. It's a riff on my last name. And this Robert was my kind of line in the sand. It was almost my Occupy Wall Street. I had enough of this apocalyptic news cycle and I wanted to push back. And there are a lot of good people doing a lot of good things in the world. So every week for the last 18 months, I've been posting on Fridays and I just try to add a little nugget of wisdom or inspiration using personal anecdotes, times I've been knocked down in life, observations I've made and spin it and, and kind of give, if I can, one little piece of info, inspiration, wisdom, whatever, uh, to help somebody through the following week. And that, that was the genesis of it. It's like enough already. Um, you know, I did a post last week and the saying uh, Hearst started it in the late 1890s. If it bleeds, it leads. That's what's on the front page. If it bleeds, it leads. Well, no, we, we need people need more than that. They, so that's, that's was the genesis of, of, of my post. Um, because we need to help our fellow person. We need to check in. Uh, isolation and loneliness skyrocketed through the pandemic. We need to check in on people and ask them how they're doing. And when they say fine, ask them again. Absolutely. And then maybe ask them a third time. Yeah. You know, are you really okay? I mean, I texted a buddy of mine, a former partner last week. I, had, I called him two weeks ago, didn't hear back. I texted him, Robert, uh, three, four days ago. Very simple. Are you okay? He responded, no. I'm in the middle of something. I will call you. So he knows that. And, and he did. He did say, I know that you're there for me, but I'm worried about the guy. So I checked in with him. Are you OK? And responded immediately. No. OK, well, we need to help this guy somehow. Yeah. Well, and I think that's paying attention to that sixth sense, right, to that intuition and recognizing, you know, what if a name if a name pops into your head, send him a text write them an email, you know, respond. Um, I, I think we were built for relationships and, and so much in our culture is relationship breaking and, and, and we've made it okay to, to just walk away from relationships. And especially when you change careers, right? You, you just, you start over and, and you focus on the new relationships and some of the old relationships that, that were so important to you. It's not that they're less important. It's just that they're no longer in your line of sight. Right. And I'll tell and you so one of, one of the most, um, I, I was so grateful when I, when I left my law firm, so many folks on the administrative staff came in and wished me well, because I, I had always treated them as colleagues, not as underlings, not as ministerial workers. Uh, they, I learned that early in the game that these people are part of the team and you need to treat them with respect, even if, even if they're not part of the attorney staff or they don't have ESQ after their name, the <laughs> IT person is as important to the team as the paralegal or the partner in charge of a file. It might be and more important because let, let the partners try to figure it out, figure out the tech if the IT guy's not there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And my sister's a registered nurse by trade. She always told me the nurses know more than the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> the well, nurses because, know more than the doctors. Because they spend more time with the patients. They're 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 with the patient far longer and know know where the patient's baseline is to know if something's changed or different. Where a doctor's in and out of there, they have no idea. And they trust the nurses for so much of the impact. And you know, in the church, in the church world, and I think also in, in the business world, but in the church, we recognize the janitor's the most important person on the staff. 
because if your bathrooms are dirty, no one's coming back. Absolutely. And, and, and if you don't recognize that, and, and I, I, one of the things I've recently been teaching about is value. I value is an important word in my life, but somehow in our culture, we've, we've made it okay to, to categorize humans by a different value and say that one group of humans is more valuable than another. And, and, and the idea in a law office that the lawyers are more valuable than the, than, than the administrative staff, obviously they can create more revenue, but that doesn't mean that they're more valuable. Right. And, uh, and, and any of the, any of the atrocities that are happening in our world are happening because somebody's in their mind has said that, you know, one group of human beings is more valuable than another. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share this anecdote. It was very powerful years ago. I'm talking 20 to 25 years ago, I was doing some work representing a police department in a federal lawsuit. And there were a number of attorneys that were involved in this lawsuit. And we were in the judge's chambers, a, f a federal judge in Hartford, Connecticut. And one of the lawyers began to disparage the woman who filed the lawsuit and was saying some not nice things about her, which stunned me because we were in the judge's chambers. And the judge stopped this lawyer cold and looked at him and, and raised his hand and finger and said, you need to remember something. Even a prostitute can be raped. It's a little guttural, but boy, did that land. Even a prostitute can be raped. And the, the lawyer looked at the judge as if to say, what are you talking about? And he said, we are all human beings. We all have dignity. While prostitution may be that person's chosen profession, if she says no, no means no and can still be raped. And again, a bit guttural, but boy, I've never forgotten that. And mm. you, if you treat people with, with dignity and respect, the guy holding the sign that he's homeless, um, he more likely than not doesn't want to be there, but may not have a safety net. And I took tax law in 1986. There's one thing, Robert, I remember from tax law, the definition of insolvency, where your liabilities exceed your assets. Yeah. And I remember, I remember coming out of law school, looking at my checkbook, paying my student loans, going, hmm, I'm legally insolvent, also known as broke. Most, most but, Americans are. And that's the it, sad thing is they spend 105% of their income. Exactly. So that person holding that sign uh, may not want to be there, may not have that safety net. Uh, when I was a young lawyer, I volunteered in, in town at a soup kitchen and we did it on Sundays. And there was a gentleman who came every Sunday in a suit and a tie and a hat. And this was his Sunday meal. And he had such, he carried himself with such dignity. I just thought, I'm, I'm sure this gentleman does not want to be in a soup line, but figured if I'm in the soup line, I'm going to treat everybody in the room with respect. And I, I never forgot that guy. You no, know, it's showing so up in the, in the suit and tie. So, so really what we're talking about is, is character, right? And, and, and the opportunity to, to be your authentic self. Um, and I think online business um, has created this temptation for, for some to be somebody that they're not. To, to try to imitate others. Um, what have you found in, in your short time in building your business of the value for Carl to be authentic and, and put himself out there and, and be your real self? Uh, I think it's the only way to go. It's the only way that I've um, conducted myself, frankly, in my life. Uh, again, I'll, I'll tap my friend Jimmy Buffett. Uh, there's a line, I am who the hell I am. Um, and, and that's, that's the way it is. And, uh, I got some social proof from a, a friend and colleague and it was very short, but it was very impactful. Uh, it was quote, Carl brings the hard won wisdom end quote. And that's just my life experience. Um, I, I love what I teach and I live what I preach. Uh, mm. you know, I, I work out because it delivers great benefits to me and again, to those that I serve. So I'm able to draw on that experience. And I also try to 
meet people where they are. Uh, I was very athletic as a young guy, athletic in college and in law school, and then fell off a cliff. First five years of my practice, I was doing 60, 70, 80 hours a week eating poorly and realized that was not sustainable. When I decided to get back in the fitness game, I could not run a single mile. Oh, man. And that, that was very distressing. But I stuck with it. And my goal was to run the New York City Marathon. That took me about seven months to train for that. I bought a book and I followed the program in the book and I ran the marathon. But when I started that, couldn't run a mile. And again, I had been very active as a kid and, and, and a young adult. And that bummed me out. I had my little pity party. But then I, I said, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Let's get going. <laughs> So let's talk about that goal and, and the value of, of, all right, so I want to run the New York Marathon, but I, I can't run a mile. It, it'd be easy to just say, well, well, I can't run a mile, so there's no way I could ever run the New York Marathon, right? But how does that, how does that goal drive those choices over those seven months? Um, well, I'm a stick and carrot guy for starters, but you're <laughs> making progress every day. Uh, and in my I, I, in my program, I talk about, I have this quote. There was a guy I read about him in Runner's World. He was in Georgia, two-pack-a-day smoker. Oof. He decided this was not good. Every time he wanted a cigarette, he decided to run to his mailbox. He said, the first time I did that, I almost threw up. And then it started getting better. He ran to a telephone pole, then to a tree, then to a local park. Long story short, he ended up uh, running an ultra marathon, which was any distance greater than 26 miles. And here's the quote, as slow as I go, I'm faster than my couch. <laughs> and, and, and I love that quote. So as slow as you go, you're faster than your couch. And mm. one, one mindset hack that I love is to look how far you have come and not what is in front of you. Um, and it, it's just, it's very helpful. I've, I've been, uh, I, last fall, my daughter and I were, were at a concert uh, on a beach in Florida and there were 200 people waiting to get in. They were checking COVID cards. They were metal, the whole package. And she said, wow, dad, there are a lot of people in front of us. I said, turn around. And she turned around and there were 10 times more behind us. I said, look how far we've come. We're <laughs> almost there. So I think, you know, in, if you have a seven month goal and you're, you're just, uh, you know, feel like you're dragging anchor. Well, look back and okay, I've made progress and let's just keep going. Nice. That, that kind of brings me to, uh, to gratitude as a tool for, or looking how far you've come, how, how has gratitude served you in in your journey? Uh, there isn't a uh, there is not a workout that goes by where I don't I don't give gratitude. In fact, when I get on my bike, I say a prayer and I ask God to allow me to give my best effort and ride safely. I'll get on my bike. And I'll ask that this be a safe ride and I give my best effort. And there are various areas around my house. There's one, uh, it's called the Meadows. And when I get in there, I feel like I was out in Jackson Hole years ago. And I feel like, even though I'm in Connecticut, that in this meadow area, I feel like I'm in Wyoming. And I'll, I'll cruise through there at 20 miles an hour on my bike. And I'll look up and I'll say, thank you, God, for giving me this day. Mm. So... You know, it's it's a it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to do that. Uh, I keep I keep using that word, and and I'll I'll share another gift anecdote. Uh, my nephew was a high school track star. He was very very a very fast runner. Uh, I ran a lot, still run a little, not as much. But I was I called myself a C one thirty. I know you were in the Marines. I don't know if they use C one thirties. They did. My favorite okay. plane. All right. So I was a C one thirty, low and slow. My my nephew was like an F fourteen. He he was speedy. So when he turned sixteen, instead of the gift card to Abercrombie or any of that junk, I said we're going to run 16 miles. We're going to run one mile for every year you were alive. And we did that. That was about eight years ago. 
He still talks about that. I still talk about that. That was my gift to him. Had I not been in shape, I could not have done that. No uncle did that for me. <laughs> right. So that was my gift to my nephew. And we still laugh about it. And hopefully he'll remember that the rest of his life. And it was a, it was a phenomenal run. He told me about you know, how he ran so fast. I told him how I would run so far. And we shared, we learned, and it was just a fantastic um, run, fantastic memory. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon. Or you can order a personalized signed copy at Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Obviously, that's a family connection, but let's talk about your business and and and, and creating business connections in, in that same vein, right? How, how valuable are connections and how important is it to make connections like that connection you have with your nephew? Uh, I, I think it's very important. I've, I've found, I've gravitated to the one-to-many. I really enjoy speaking uh, with groups, um, whether it's community groups or law firms or insurance companies. If I can, you know, we're still doing a lot of Zoom stuff, but if I can get on a Zoom and make a presentation to a bunch of folks and reach one of them, um, then, then all the better. And there are, you know, you asked about the, the fitness space there, there's, it's crowded. So how do you differentiate yourself? Well, uh, again, this is what worked, has worked for me in my career. And it's not, um, I don't read a bunch of books and then spout what's been in the books. I tell folks when Carl Fix was, <clears throat> excuse me, a trial lawyer, and doing this with his wife and two kids and doing this on these two not-for-profit boards. And oh, by the way, working 70 hours a week, he was still fitting in, um, you know, a workout in the morning for a number of reasons. And let, and I'll share with you how I did that. So um, again, I just think we can be more productive and less stressed if we embed this fitness component in our daily and weekly routine. Yeah. So, so obviously what differentiates you is, is one step. The other step is, is differentiating your audience, right? Knowing, knowing your, your niche, who, who you really want to serve. And it sounds like one to many. So you want to do group teaching your coaching and you want to do um, sounds like you feel comfortable in the corporate space in, you know, serving people that are, that are in office spaces, right? The cubicle club, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, I do. But I, I'll tell you this. And I'll, I'll uh, one of the ways when, when I was practicing law, uh, one of the things that I like to do, I represented um, a very large construction company and there were lawsuits against their drivers. Now, these drivers were Teamsters. Uh, they may not have wanted to be in a room with a, uh, a lawyer, but they were because they were sued. Um, and I would say to them, listen, I don't have my commercial driver's license. You do. Uh, if I got in your truck, I would rely on you to tell me how to drive that truck. I would be in your world. You are now in my world. So I would ask you, to let me drive the truck for you. And, and if I were in your truck, I would follow every step that you told me to, in, in order to drive that truck safely. So you're now in my world. I've lived in this and I'm going to help you drive the truck in my world. And that would settle everybody down. And then all of a sudden we, we would have a great relationship and it wasn't, Oh, Carl fix, you know, Mr. Lawyer guy, educated person who speaks, you know, way up here and he'll never understand me. It's, we were eye to eye. We were at the same level and that worked, that worked well. So while I'm extremely comfortable talking to lawyers, I speak their lingo, it's folks that are busy, you know, because the biggest objection to getting back in the fitness game is time. And that's a universal problem. 
Well, it's actually a universal excuse. Well if said. We're, if we're Better honest. Said. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this, is, and, and, this is the most abused word in the English language. Right. So I have a, I have a picture of a Starbucks line in my slide deck. And here's <laughs> where it gets paradoxical. If you don't, if you don't have the app, you go to Starbucks, you're going to wait 20 minutes for a coffee. There are great 20 minute workouts. So to me, it's paradoxical. I love coffee as much as the next guy, but if I'm going to forego my 20 or 30 minute workout so I can go to Starbucks and wait in line for 20 or 25 minutes for a coffee. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but it's a societal thing. So yeah, it is an excuse. And th there is time. We, we find time for the things that we want to do, don't we? Oh, of course. I, you know, it, I think about it as the, the parenting example. I was, I was taught that, you know, it's simple to turn to your child and especially during the pandemic when we're all working and our kids or grandkids are running around, you know, the house because they're stuck here too. And, and you turn to them and say, well, I'm busy, right? When they pull on your sleeve and they say, I want to play. But if they run out in the street and they scrape their knee and they need your attention, you drop whatever you're doing and you take care of them. Mm -hmm. So correct. So were you too busy or you know, what, what's the priority? And so the, the, the truth is we need to communicate better. We need to not use the word busy, you know? So, so for, for me, at least now with my grandson, I've changed the rules, right? I, all right. I'm recording a call right now. I, I have to finish this call for this period of time, but, but when that's over, let's have a, you know, let, let's, let's, let's spend 20 minutes doing something together. Right. And, you know, when I was practicing law, um, I made it uh, a point to be there for whatever event may have been going on in the afternoon. And I had the luxury, frankly, of not punching a clock. So if my daughter in eighth grade was playing field hockey, I was there at three o'clock for that field hockey game. What did that mean? That meant maybe that night I had to put in a few hours or that weekend. I remember I was on a not-for-profit board and there was a conference out in Chicago and I was out there with the president of the institution. And he said to me, are you sure that your partners are okay with you being here? And I said to him, my partners could care less whether I'm here. My work is my work. All this means is I've allotted three days to this conference for this not-for-profit board because it means a lot to me. I'll have to make up those three days, but I'll find a way. So it's, there's some shifting that goes on um, because, it, again, it was incredibly important for me to see my daughters do what they did at any school event or evening event. I needed and wanted to be there for well, them. That's, because, and that's being intentional in, in your life, right? And, and so many people feel like they don't have a choice, especially people that have, you know, have a job. And, and the truth is you do have a choice. So many people just don't exercise it. They don't ask, right? They don't ask if they could have the afternoon off to go to a baseball game. They don't ask to, to, to miss, you know, this time so that they can, you know, be at their kid's doctor's appointment. And, and the truth is you, you have the freedom to ask. And of course, as entrepreneurs, you, you become your own boss and then you have the freedom to design the business around the life that you want. And, and you can choose to have the freedom but like you said, you have to make it up a little later in, in many cases, right? Because there is work to be done and, and you get to choose when that work gets done so that you can do the things that are important to you. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. And, you know, I went into this venture a year ago, Robert, with eyes wide open. I did not think I'd have, you know, Dorothy moments where I click my heels and all of a sudden I'd be. Uh, you know, the number one speaker uh, in the world, or the, the number one coach. It's it takes time. I mean, it's no different than when you get a file in the office and you take it to the time of trial. The amount of work that goes in is staggering. Uh, you know, these these shows, these legal shows on TV, whatever happens at five after the hour is wrapped up by five of the hour. Uh, I'll give you, for instance, I had a case. I had a trial in 2012 for an accident on a barge in the Hudson River in 2004. We fought for eight years about that case. That's a long time. 
And a lot went into that. So I, I carry those lessons over to the launch of this No Surrender, my company, that it's brick by brick by brick. And you can't half-ass it. That's you know one of my sayings because I go to a cardiologist preemptively. I go twice a year. I do a stress test. And on, on a recent stress test, he pulls the, the results and he looks at me and he says, well, Carl, you cannot half-ass a stress test. But that's so true about everything else. You can't half-ass the practice of law. You can't half-ass being an entrepreneur. You just can't half-ass it. Um, well, the truth is you. there's many that do. And and they get the results according to the work, right? But yeah, we've created a culture of comfort, and and the, and the truth is, there's many people that are just content with, I'll do just enough, right? Do just enough not to get fired, and and the company will pay me just enough that I don't quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's and, a lot uh, of there's a lot of just enough going on. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And I and I think I think your business is so important because there's so many people that have lived their lives thinking it won't happen to me. I've got plenty of time when it comes to their health. Yep. I and can eat I the can donut you, today. I can eat the bagel with cream cheese. I can eat the hamburger at lunch, and I'll be okay because I, I got plenty of time to to do that later. In the last, you know. People say things happen in threes. I don't know if it's the Holy Trinity. I don't know what it is. But in the last two months, three friends of mine, I'm I'm knocking on 59 years old. Three friends of mine told me that they were recently diagnosed with various forms of cancer. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it, we're, we're kind of in the zone. Uh, but I'm doing my level best to um, not again, to stay, to stay fit. And I'll talk about my kids for a minute. My wife and I made a conscious choice to have children. I want to see my children live long and prosper. So as, as much as I do it for me, and again, the communities I serve, I want to be an example to my kids. Uh, You know, and you look at their examples all over the place. I'm a big fan of the Rolling Stones. You look at Mick Jagger. This July, Mick Jagger will be 79 years old. They're back on tour in Europe. Mick Jagger runs 12 miles every concert. That doesn't happen by mistake. He, he, he puts in the effort. And as a result, Rolling Stones fans around the world have this gift of Mick Jagger strutting and singing. And he's still bringing it. So why can't we all do that? I mean, why can't we all do that? Well, and and it's choosing your priorities, right? And being intentional. And I think so many people are living by default instead of by intention. And and so helping people say, recognize, A, you have a choice, and B, you have the responsibility to exercise it. Now you need to decide what your why is, right? So in your case, you know, I want to see my kids prospering in their lives. I want to I want to spend time with my grandchildren. And and those are those are things that are important, and that becomes a driving force for this intentionality, for your health, this intention. Yeah. yeah, it's harder to eat healthy in our current situation, our current culture. It's harder to choose to make time to exercise. You know, it's yeah. not necessarily easy to, to take, you know, it, it's not easy and natural to take the best care of your body. But when you do it, the results are, are overwhelmingly rewarding. Uh, agreed. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you one other, th- another thing that, that, I love in your book, your own your shit chapter, number two, right? My Friday fix, which I've mentioned, I end each one, own the day, own the weekend, Carl. Ownership is a big deal to me. Now, in Connecticut, under our rules of practice and in federal court, for instance, as well, when a lawyer signs his or her name to a pleading that's submitted to the court, they're certifying that that pleading is being filed in good faith and not to delay, harass, or annoy your opponent. <laughs> so for, for 30 plus years, I've been signing my name back in the old days, the actual signature, now the e-signature, certifying, owning it. That document said Carl R. Fix Jr. I owned it, couldn't escape it. 
I'm a big believer in that, which is why I ring off every week, own the day, own the weekend, own it, take ownership of it. So, you know, you're own the shit. I love, love, love that. I mean, it's like there's so much, uh, so many euphemisms in the corporate world about skating and dodging responsibility drives me crazy. I will tell you in 2013, I transitioned out of the law for a few years and ran a foundation. And I changed a few things. I inherited a team. We, I would say, we're going to change this. And the team would look at me and I'd say, listen, if this fails, it's on me, Carl Fix. If it succeeds, it's all of us around this table. And then you'd, then you'd get ownership. You'd get buy-in. Oh, okay. That's a great idea, Carl. Because they knew I was going to fall on the sword. But it's like the train is leaving the station do you want to get on it or not? And just step into it and own it. Well, and there's so much that people feel like their lives are out of control. They feel like they they don't they don't have control of the world, and 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 so they're stressed out. Their anxiety levels are high. All of all of these things. But the crazy part in that is that because they feel like everything's out of control, they feel like they're out of control and they don't, they don't have anything that they can control. And, and there are, there is a great deal of things in life that you can control and you can take responsibility for. And when you do the stress and anxiety be, starts to go down because you start to figure out all the things that you cannot control and you let them go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's I mean- huge power in that. Agreed. And, you know, the choices we can control our fitness, obviously, we can control who we hang out with. I mean, you know, I've commented that per person X boy, she sucks the oxygen out of a room, you know, and, and a lot of folks will project, they'll project their angst, despair, agony, whatever. And why do you want that? I mean, certainly, if people are in distress, you need to help them. But I don't know why you would consciously want to be around somebody who keeps throwing off these negative vibes and, and is just uh, uh, just a negative person because that that impacts you. Um, Absolutely, and 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 you have the choice, right? That's another place where you can be intentional. Intentionally choose your relationships and choose those relationships that feed you, rather than. And that's not to say that you don't have relationships where you're the fuel, right? Where you're fueling others and feeding others, but you've got to watch out for those people that are just permanently in crisis and permanently. Uh, draining, right? And 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 make the long term choice, especially if they're family. Right? It can be challenging, but but if they're family, and and you you can't eliminate the relationship, but you can certainly limit the time that you allow them to suck the life out of you. Right, and you need to be careful too. This is another thing you need to be careful because you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. Of course, we all have very full plates. And I'll, I'll share a, a very personal uh, anecdote with you. In 2014, my then 57-year-old brother-in-law went missing. Oh, man. He's never been found. Hmm. The very same week, Robert, he went missing. My mother was dying and died of cancer. Okay? Uh-huh. Those two things happened the same week. I was in work the following week, and there was a colleague who was almost on the ground, apoplectically crying because her daughter had called off her wedding and didn't know why God had done this to her. (laughs) And I remember thinking, hmm, you know, let me find my brother-in-law and bury my mother and then maybe we can deal with this. So I kept my mouth shut because that's just kind of the way I roll at times. But, you know, there's somebody who's projecting this distress when certainly perhaps it was a big event. But again, there are others in the world that are carrying a load. You have you have no idea the guy who cut you off at the stop sign uh, may be coming back from a chemo treatment and his mind is distant. Well, uh, so obviously there's, there's a lot going on in her world that, that her daughter's wedding was so emotionally overbearing. But, you know, it's pretty easy to find gratitude in the wedding being called off because maybe the guy was a total jerk and you're better off without him. Right. Like, you know, there's things we can control and things that we can't. And, 
obviously you can't control that your brother-in-law went missing. You can't control that your mother passed. And, and you could allow, of course, you, there's an emotional burden, right? Those things hurt, they happen. But the idea that, that, that you could allow those things to control you and influence you for weeks and months and years is that's a burden. We're not, we're not designed to carry. Right. And, and again, you can, it's, it's how you, address the situation. I had another brother-in-law who passed last May. I did the eulogy. Mm. And to me, the eulogy is the closing argument on somebody's life. It's a, it's a very uh, important thing in, in my world uh, to, to bring that person back to life for 10 or 15 minutes to the congregation. Celebrate. Absolutely. Celebrate. Yeah. And, and I brought it. And I knew, Robert, I said, I am going to deliver this. I am going to, I just need to do this for Jimmy. I need to do this. And still to this day, that was 13 months ago, I, I'll bump into folks who'll say, your eulogy was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I had people who well, said, you brought, you brought him to life. And I, but it's very important. That's very important to me. I take that responsibility. Um, you know, see, that's, the, that's the way we should grieve instead of Instead of this this idea that you know we have to sit and pout and cry and, and be sad because of our loved one being lost, whereas the truth is, we can recall the stories and bring their their life back through our memories of them, and that's that's the power in celebrating their life in in a oh, positive way, and, without a doubt. And you and you do so much more for the world when you celebrate somebody's life in a positive way rather than you know spending months and years in this in this in fact there's a young man that's my dad's been helping and 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 trying to help and he'd been he'd been free from alcohol for a number of years and and had a great job and was doing really well and then fell off the wagon and lost his job and 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 everything stems from his mother passing away a year ago and and all of us deal with loss. Everybody, it happens to everybody. There's no one that escapes the death clause. No, I know. <laughs> and and so we need to be able to help people deal with that in a in a much better way, and and recognize that you can't control if your loved one passes. Right. But uh, you, you can know, control the stories that you tell. Without a doubt. And I and I'll tell you this. I um, that's a great feed into this. I, when my mother passed, I did her eulogy. I started it with a quote from Isaac Dennison, a Dutch author. And the quote is, all sorrows can be born if you tell a story about them. Hmm. When you tell stories, it, 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 it's, it's a great way to deal with it. My dad was a World War II guy, ex- uh, wildly patriotic. Hmm. You know, all we did when we were kids was go to parades. He just loved this country. When he passed, we met with the funeral guy and he's... He says, okay, now the recessional hymn is going to be whatever, some funeral dirge. I said, no. I said, we're doing the battle hymn of the Republic. (laughs) And he looked at me, he said, hmm, I've never had that request. I said, that's what we're doing. Rocked it. People came out of that church feeling good, like the battle hymn of the Republic. It was a fitting tribute to my father, who was a World War II veteran, who Mm. loved this country. And it, it... it's just the power of story. I mean, the truth is the power of story. It's it's the same power that many people are using it in the negative, right? That 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 woman lying on the floor upset about her daughter's wedding is telling herself a story about the daughter's wedding being canceled. And my dad's young friend is telling himself a story about his mother's passing. And and the stories we tell ourselves are, are as powerful as the stories we tell others. Mm-hmm. And 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 the truth is. Every single story that we tell, we have the choice to view it in a positive light or to view it out of control and in a negative light. Yeah. Uh, there was a funny post the other day. Uh, there's a guy, Chris Doris. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I'm familiar with Chris. He's been on the okay. show. His post the other day, uh, he was talking about a rock hit his windshield and it splintered. And his first reaction was, oh, this sucks. But then he recalibrated and said, thank you, windshield, for saving my face. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that and I, I said, perfect. That is so, that's just perfect. Thank you, windshield, for saving my face. And it, and and it takes a second sometimes 
You know, I mean, there's still that second where you go, well, that sucks. Yeah. Now what? But then in that now what question, you can go, oh, that rock could have hit me in the face if that windshield wasn't there. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, that's just um, more wisdom from Chris Doris. All right. Carl, I love to, to hit on the family side of things. And, and, and you've had a nice, long relationship with your spouse and, and just what, what's your most memorable date? Uh, it was actually on our honeymoon. We were in Italy and we had lunch in this little town in Sicily called uh, Mondello. And uh, even though we were newly married, it felt like our first date. And I, wa- I have not been back. That was 1994. And I'd love to go back. It was one of the most peaceful uh, meals in the most, one of the most beautiful settings. Uh, and it, it just, it still, I think about it quite often when, when I see the beach. Sounds like you need a speaking gig in Italy. Yeah, well, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> how, how have routines served you for your, for your business, for your personal development? Uh, extremely important. Uh, I mean, life is a matter of routine when the routine's out of whack, uh, you know, we get out of whack. Uh, so I like to work out in the morning because again, back to this ownership, I work out in the morning. I own it. Nobody can take it from me. It's in the bank. Um, you know, so I, I make it a point of working that in like my youngest daughter is a junior in high school. She wanted to ride to school today. I'm looking at my schedule. I said, okay, I need to move things up. So I got up a little earlier today, got my workout in, did what I had to do. Uh, and then whatever happens today happens um, because I, I banked it and I own it. So very important uh, to me to have that, to have that routine. All right. So we can either do, do you know, Talk about play and fun, or we can tie play and fun into what you love to do in your free time with your family. Okay. Uh, we loved as a family to, um, uh, this will shock you, but we like to do vacations that center around hiking and activities, uh, motion. Um, you know, we went three years ago to Italy and hiked the Cinque Terre, those, those five towns. That was one of the best vacations you hike all day, break a sweat, burn some calories, and then you're eating some pesto and drinking the local wine. That's the way to go. Uh, so we kind of center things around that. And again, my, it, I'm fortunate that, uh, I, we have a physically active family and it's just something that means a lot to all of us. And, uh, it's taught us a lot of lessons and we've all learned a lot from each other. Nice. So obviously building vacations around fitness, around uh, activity, play is, play is really important. What are the ways you like to have play and fun? I uh, love to cook, um, very much love to cook, love to travel, love to read. I alternate between fiction and nonfiction. My nonfiction are both business books, but also these Herculean human accomplishments. They some things that folks do, I, I just, um, I'm amazed at, at, at what they do, but I'm, I'm amazed at the capability of the human body, like Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. Hmm. You know, he talks about that tribe in Mexico, they run 40, 50 miles a day because our bodies are born to run. That, that book was a game changer for me. So uh, I get a lot of value out of that. Well, having been in having been in Kenya, I think about the Kenyan runners and and just you know, there's nothing out there. <laughs> They're in the middle of nowhere and and run you know to school and run to here and run to there and and uh, I'm sure somebody's written stories about it <laughs> somewhere, um, but obviously it's, that's that's why the Kenyan runners are typically at the front <laughs> of yeah, marathons and, and to actually see them running. Uh, you know, I've been to, I'm 100 miles from New York. I've both run in the New York City Marathon, but I've also spectated there. And to see the leaders of the pack, you know, these men and women that are laying down four to five minute miles, is it, to actually see the human body do that is really amazing. It's well, One four minute mile is incredible. 23, <laughs> 26 of them is a whole other story. Yeah. Right. Because as I said, I'm that C-130 transport. You know, I'm not... <laughs> 
Uh, well, I guess it's F-18s now. I just saw the Top Gun sequel and the F-14s, I guess, are dinosaurs. So we'll call it the F-18. Uh, and, and actually, the F-18s being replaced by the F-35. So, <laughs> but, Okay. I don't know how they come up with these numbers. but That's right. They skip a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I one of my brother-in-laws was the only house. The, the way his street was configured, he was the only house on that part of the street. I think he was number 27. And I remember thinking, there's only one house on this street. How did how did they come up with how they come up with 27? Was, uh, was that the builder's favorite number or something? That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I like that. So, all right, Carl, what's the big dream? Uh, the big dream is to uh, grow, no surrender, and keep reaching more and more and more people uh, while simultaneously helping my daughters navigate into the world as um contributing members of society mm, so good all right yeah. spend an hour having coffee with an entrepreneur and you will leave him with carl fix jr's words of wisdom uh, i would say humble more and preen less um forgive more grudge less things of that nature nice yep Carl, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing so much wisdom. Thank you, Robert. I, uh, it's been a, quite an honor to be on your show, and I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com In our next episode, Brittany Anderson and Robert talk about money and money education, but also about empowering people to dream, to believe that the life they want is possible. Her and her team want to help people see money differently and use it to get the most out of their lives. She talks about positive thinking, gratitude, and getting your body moving to really shift your thinking.